0: everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech expansive I'm Sean Dubravac from Avrio Institute.
1: And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research.
0: This week, the Senate held a uh, hearing on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Witnesses included Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Google's Sundar Pichai, and Twitter's Jack Dorsey, all testifying uh, remotely from their respective locations on the, on the West Coast. And, uh, and actually, many of the senators were also showing up uh, remotely. It's interesting timing for that hearing, of course, and there was a lot of uh, commentary ar- around the motivation for that to be held right before uh, the election. Many of the, the Democrats on the committee uh, arguing that uh, it was a, a bad time to be holding that, while many of the Republicans were using it to, uh, as I saw one person note, Catch sound bites of them yelling at uh, Jack Dorsey that they could then post to their Twitter profiles on Jack Dorsey's uh, site, you know, using using the platform that they're criticizing to promote the the criticism. <laughs> um, the uh, so you know, with all of that said, I don't know that we we necessarily learned anything new. Uh, we we got a kind of a a confirmation from both google and and facebook and and our twitter in a slightly different sense that they're all taking this very seriously that they're working hard to create a, a fair and balanced uh platform <laughs> somebody's already, somebody else already owns the the fair and balanced uh, of course but uh trying to create a, a platform that uh is a uh essentially a neutral platform for for free speech and they're uh, each coming at that uh, slightly different way um it was interesting mark zuckerberg noted that they are spending 3 or 4 billion or, or possibly more on content moderation and then also on on defending lawsuits related to uh to section 230 uh so the companies c- can seem to be Uh, Very committed, but yet not a lot of news necessarily coming out of the the hearing.
1: Well, you know, one of the interesting things uh, you had been mentioning earlier, Sean, was this idea proposed by Jack Dorsey that, um, you know, we may soon be able to apply third party filters and algorithms to our Twitter feeds in order to make the world seem more in line with our worldviews. It it seems maybe, you know, a a bit different than a filter, really just something that would sort of pull the levers to allow in more of things, uh, allow more things that we find credible or agreeable versus uh, and shutting out the things that, you know, we, we find objectionable, or that perhaps uh, fails some kind of confidence score uh, in terms of its credibility uh, that that an AI might uh, might score. Uh, and uh, you know, on one hand, uh, I think you know we could all agree if if this uh, cut down the degree of, of vitriol on some of these uh, social networks that w- that would probably be a good thing, but. The challenge becomes, you know, what if it uh, also cuts off legitimate debate and legitimate exchange of ideas, which is what ideally these networks uh, should be vying uh, among uh, citizens with uh, differing viewpoints.
0: Yeah, as as you noted in his opening statements, uh, Jack Dorsey said, there should it is a little bit of a black box we need to kind of overcome this black box we need to really document and lay out very clearly what our content moderation process looks like we need to provide a very straightforward appeals process and then ultimately we need to implement user choice where they can opt in or out of the content ranking algorithms and maybe even open up third party uh algorithms that they can can uh, can do he noted quote enabling people to choose algorithms created by third parties to rank and filter their content is an incredibly energizing idea that that's in reach so this idea that uh, maybe in the future on these platforms we'll be able to integrate our own ranking algorithms and uh, to, to your point filter algorithms that uh, that serve the the interests of our of what we want to see the problem of course is that might create even more pronounced filter bubbles if we buy into a, a very well-defined filter or, or ranking algorithm. We may only ever see the things that we think are are valid and important.
1: I'll tell you one thing uh, I'd, I'd like to see. Uh, there are a number of organizations, uh, Walt Mossberg, you know, longtime personal technology journalists for, uh, for the Wall Street Journal is involved in one of them that are promoting news literacy. You know, what, what can you do to be a smarter consumer of news? Uh, What can you do to help uh, ascertain what's, what's truthful? So you kind of become the, the fake news filter uh, ultimately, Um, you know, instead of just accepting what's, provided to you and so I, I would like to see the uh, these efforts focus a little bit more on longer term education as opposed to why a particular story you know may be more or less credible uh, you know the the latter is certainly worthwhile uh, but um, if if there were some kind of uh, labeling uh, to to a story that says you know here's here are some th- suspect things, you know, almost, uh, you know, Sean, you, you've, you've brought up, uh, the comparison to spam, uh, many times in terms of the, the fake news, uh, uh, fake news problem. And I, and I, it's, it's a, it's a really great, uh, comparison and, uh, you know, very often, uh, email programs will, will, uh, tell you why they think something is spam. Right. Uh, but we don't really see that today. It's more, more like, you know check out the facts or you know this this agency or this fact checking service says this may be suspect um so it might be you know great to say if it, if it says you know and and yes machine learning or ai probably need to come a little further along for this but for the labels to include things like you know unnamed sources or uh you know the 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 this person has a history of of you know spreading other kinds of uh, misinformation. Uh, to me, that you know that would would be a, a more worthwhile goal because uh, I, I think it would help solve the the problem of, of fake news longer term. Um, but it does require labeling and it does require intervention. So.
0: Yeah. And, it, and you do wonder if there isn't a way we could use the wisdom of the crowds a little bit similar to mm-hmm. how Amazon uses kind of favorite sections in their, in their Kindle app, where if a lot of people have highlighted it, you can see it highlighted. Uh, we use this for feedback in any type of, of you know, image recognition yep. where, where you, you think of captions, captures, or some other things where you're kind of identifying, you're allowing the users to identify the information uh, you could maybe do that with uh, on some of these news platforms where users can highlight sections that they think are, are suspect, similar to, to Wiki, some of the things, the way Wikipedia works. Um, I mean, Wikipedia tends to be more edited, but you could envision a world where if a certain number of people or a certain percentage of, of readers highlight a section of that article, then that article can can maybe be changed by the author, could be at least flagged by the author. We could have, you know, a supplemental paragraph added uh, as a as a call-out box or something that uh, that adds additional clarity or detail to that. So there, there's some really interesting things that could happen there. And, you know, and it's interesting because I think as news went digital, we still, at least early on, treated it very much like the – The physical news that we were used to where once it's written and published, you know, it's followed up the next day with another article. But really, the the news is much more robust than that. It's it's constantly changing. Uh, There are updates that that become available to us each and every minute. I I think uh, we kind of saw this in real time with Twitter's handling of the of the New York Post article recently where they kind of took it down and then and then they allowed it to be shared and, and brought it back I think so you've got you know this kind of ever-changing amount of information around the news and yet I would argue that the way we're consuming the news and the way the news is being delivered really isn't yet fully taking advantage of the frequency at which new information becomes uh, available so there could be some interesting kind of new approaches to deal with this flow of information.
1: Yeah, two, uh, two thoughts there and uh, one um you know there there have been a number of studies showing how quickly fake news spreads um as opposed to attempts to correct it uh following up it's like once it's once it's out of the gate you know once the train has left the station it's it's very difficult to bring it back uh the the crowd based thing is interesting and i have seen examples of companies trying to fight disinformation through crowd feedback but it's important to think about motivation like let's let's take bots out of the out of the picture ju- just for a minute and assume we're dealing only with humans uh, the reason why say you know amazon uh feedback on products works is because people don't really have a a motivation or an emotional connection uh in saying that a a bad product is good <laughs> you know they don't they don't have a strong they're unless they're, unless they're paid uh, unless they're paid, but generally the payment works for, right, for reinforcement, not for tearing down. Maybe if it's a competitor's product, yeah. I guess you uh, you might see some of that or, or eBay feedback, right? Right. Uh, I remember in the early days of, of eBay, you know, being kind of down on it because – I, I just thought, you know, how how are you ever going to police this thing? And and of course, there's been a lot of scams, but you know, overall, it hasn't been so bad. Uh, it's worked, you know, uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, that's that's much more difficult to execute in on a news site, and particularly if it's a self-reinforcing, highly partisan news site where the there would be very little, uh, very relatively low chance that someone who did not already uh, sympathize with that worldview would be visiting uh that. So so yes, it would have to happen, I guess, on social media. Um and you know, I I, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's kind of like the presidential debate commission where they they have to try to find a way to uh remain impartial, you know, between these two sides that are that are at each other. Where do they find those folks? I, I really don't know. Uh, but uh, you know that that's the kind of impartiality that you would have to seek in in you know these kinds of um, uh, the, 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 these kinds of people providing feedback.
0: Yeah, both President Trump and and even uh, Joe Biden have have talked about rewriting or just scrapping Section Two Thirty. So mm. uh, while well, this was. Uh, you know, timed to to uh, happen just right before the uh, the election, um, and, and offer really a platform for Republicans to uh, to criticize some of the the handling of of previous uh, dynamics. There, uh, it's not the last that we have heard of uh, of addressing two thirty, updating two thirty, changing two thirty. All all of those things are probably high on the docket. Uh, for next year, I think the other thing that was interesting was that we saw in some of the questions questions that really veered away from what what I would say the the narrowly uh, defined domain of of Section two hundred and thirty is. So we for saw more, more anti-
1: of a big tech referendum. Yeah, we saw right, some. Yeah, sure. We
0: saw we saw some antitrust questions. We saw sure. some some power questions. Um, we saw some questions around uh, you know almost in internal dynamics, how how companies are managed internally. Uh, So, uh, and we know as we discussed in last week's episode, we're probably just seeing the the start of of that. This week we saw that Italy's Italian or Italy's antitrust authority is going to investigate Google for alleged abuse of its dominant position in uh, the online display ad market, following a complaint by IAB. Of course, last week we talked about the DOJ's lawsuit against Google. So we've got a lot more coming around big tech. 230 might be one area uh, of entry into legislating uh, the, these companies. I saw Senator Warner, who, who really has a tech background somewhat more than uh, than many of the senators, uh, came out this week and just said, we can't rely on tech to self-regulate themselves. And that's, that's an argument they've been making a lot of. in in recent years. So we'll see uh, what more comes in 2021. Uh, In other news this week, we started to get uh, the tech revenue numbers, quarterly announcements and quarterly releases. We saw that uh, Samsung reported operating profits of a cool 10.9 billion in the third quarter. That's up 59% from last year the highest ever quarterly revenue um, of $59 billion, up 8% year-over-year, year, led by strong demand for electronics generally, smartphones definitely. Uh, so you see uh, Samsung really, really roaring back here on, on the uh, back of really strong demand.
1: I think they've been, you know, it's been interesting to follow uh, their handset releases, right? So they've got... Uh, obviously the Fold, which is their, you know, halo showcase. Here's a glimpse of the future, uh, kind of device. Uh, but they have also, and, and they've also been more aggressive about catering to the mid-market, uh, here in the U.S. with, uh, the Galaxy A series and this, uh, fan edition. Uh, so they've got far more choices in kind of that high-end, mid-range, low-end, high-end. <laughs> <laughs> low end of the high end uh spectrum with with the fan edition um, uh so i i just think that you know they're they're just uh trying to preserve this quality brand uh, uh positioning of course uh but uh just giving people more choices than the two top line products they've traditionally had which has been the the you know main s series and the uh, and the note, uh, which is, uh, you know, a success story for them, they they kind of own that space, but it's a it's a relatively small space.
0: Yep, and uh, we also saw revenue announcements from Spotify. Uh, they had a revenue of one point nine seven billion euros in the third quarter, up fourteen percent year over year. They have three hundred twenty million monthly average users. That's up 29% year over year, and and that's
1: that's across uh, free and uh, across paid and ad supported, or does it say? Or, I, I
0: yes, I, I would think so. Yeah, that, yeah. That's across both because they also announced that they have 144 million paying subscribers, which is wow. about, up 27% uh, year over year. So they had a big jump in total users, but also a big jump in uh, in paid users, and uh, as a result, revenue was. Was up for the year. Uh, obviously, we've been talking a lot about what Spotify has been doing on the podcast over the last year. They've built out a lot in the uh, the podcast space. In fact, they took some heat this week for uh, ah, yes for some of the interviews that took place in some of those podcasts. And and this <laughs> kind of goes back to our conversation around two thirty around you know what are the the moderation choices for these platforms? Well, what are the rules? Do they always stick to the rules? And and that's been a lot of the um, I think the the sticking points in this conversation is that they tend to have rules that they don 't always enforce, and so that creates some uh, some confusion but Spotify by and large looks like they 're uh, executing well on a lot of the strategies that they 've sought out to uh, to execute on over the last year
1: it 's also interesting that you know both of these companies are associated strongly with mobile. And, you know, we've spoken a lot before about how certainly home entertainment technologies have done very well during the pandemic. I'm not sure if it's the case that mobile technologies have been underestimated during the pandemic or if it is that people are, you know, particularly with a phone purchase, can look ahead to a time when they'll be uh traveling more again, when they'll be more mobile, and it's just time for them to upgrade for whatever reason or they're attracted to a new device, and so they make you know they make the investment because they know they're gonna have to make it eventually uh so uh I was just actually talking about this with uh with with my wife the other day about you know how here in new york we we've got all these like Broadway shows that are yeah you know, saying oh now planning to reopen in september 2021 like how how do you know that you know uh, i guess you you kind of have to make plans you have to make a default plan even even though it's hard to predict e- exactly when it's you know going to be enabled
0: well and i think y- you do see uh you know as i've as i've looked at uh, startup funding you do see some of these companies getting funding right now that sure. are sure that are focused on what I would call more, more mobile centric experiences, uh, you know, travel, travel experiences or, or, other things like that. So you do see some of those companies continuing to, to get funding and continuing to try to build out a business and a service, even in a, an environment where, uh, you know, it hasn't necessarily been very strong. For example, tech well, Crunch, t- go ahead. I'm week, sorry, tech just, just this week was reporting that, um, travel activities, booking app, get your guide raised 133 million through a convertible note. Uh, So Airbnb,
1: Airbnb filing uh, IPO. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you, you've got uh, these companies that um, you know, are probably uh, weathering. I mean, and Airbnb is a great example of a company that has shifted what it's doing and the type of, you know, the type of offerings that it's delivering. Uh, I've, Talked to several people who have put their cabins on Airbnb and have done phenomenally well through the remainder of the year as, as they seek to, you know, take advantage of kind of pandemic-induced travel changes. People aren't going international now; they're looking to go to the woods, and so those those type hmm. of locations are are more popular. But they're still doing well in the kind of Airbnb you know portfolio, the Airbnb platform. So. Uh, I I think we all hope that we will be at Broadway shows next September, uh, but uh, (laughs) probably not quite ready to buy our tickets just yet. Uh, In in other kind of revenue news, we also saw that Netflix is going to increase pricing for their standard plans by a dollar. Those will now be $14 a month and their premium tier by $2, which will bring it to $18 a month. Basic plans will remain the same at $9 a month. This is just in the U.S., and uh so it doesn't look like it will impact the international plans quite yet it also comes right after the the news that we had a couple weeks ago that they're essentially shutting down all free trials for the service in uh in the u.s so if you were um and, and the pricing goes into effect immediately so if you were someone who was able to parlay multiple uh free accounts every two weeks <laughs> Uh, you're now going to have to pay even more for Netflix than you thought just a week or two ago. Uh, and and Ross, you were remarking how it, the timing on this is quite interesting. We're in an environment where we have a lot of competitors, and, and Netflix notes that in their announcement of this price increase, that there are a lot of choices. They want to deliver high-value premium content. Uh, but but we are in an environment where Apple TV is uh, continuing to grow. We talked about it in previous episodes that they might have their, their first real hit on their hands. And um, and they are also in a place where they can subsidize the, the service for a long time. This was, as we noted, something that Quibi couldn't do and probably uh, hurt Quibi in the long run was that they couldn't continue to, to have high burn rates. But Apple arguably can have a very high burn rate on this because they... Their uh, their core revenue isn't coming from this service quite yet. And so they can use it as a as an add-on to everything else they're, uh, they're offering. And, and, you know, in the last year, and we've been talking a lot about these on the podcast, you've had Peacock launch. You've had all these other uh, services launch. You continue to have HBO, Amazon Prime building out. So you've got a lot of competitors in the space. And, and it's also at a time when, uh, you know, we're... We're uh, locked at home, and uh, and maybe times are tight for some. So it's an interesting time for a price increase in the midst of a, a pretty dire recession.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually, you know, I, I had mentioned that when we were chatting earlier, and uh, I'm, that that's kind of the most surprising thing to me that they would risk the PR blowback uh, for uh, raising prices in a pandemic when, uh, you know, they are one of the one of one of the welcome distractions yeah. uh, from uh, from everything happening but um you know i I've, I've been seeing uh mixed things about for example how competitive or how aggressively they have been uh, in bidding for potential you know uh, for for promising uh, tv series how uh certainly apple entering the game has has upped the floor uh, you know has has uh, enhanced the Competitiveness uh, for uh, for new IP uh, in, uh, in in the streaming space, uh, and uh, you know, of course, all services raise prices over time. I mean, maybe they're just kind of doing this as a as a weather the storm, you know, kind of thing. Maybe they're thinking about it as, uh, well, you know, we're going to have to do it eventually, and doing it now provides us more capital uh, upfront. At a time when you know uh, Disney Plus is is killing it, but but HBO Max and and Peacock are just you know kind of kind of building momentum now. Apple is you know still in the in the very early days, so maybe the idea is let's you know build up our our coffers a bit uh, because we we know it's going to be you know get even bloodier uh, in in the next year or two in terms of competition.
0: Yeah, and it's been nearly eighteen months since they raised prices. The last time mm-hmm. they raised fees in the US was January of twenty nineteen. So I, I think many felt like this was uh was coming. They recently increased the cost of some of their plans in Canada. So you know, they're always looking at mm-hmm. pricing. Uh, I also feel like this is uh you know, Netflix has long seemed to, to test the elasticity of their of their product to see how sensitive their users are to, to price changes in the past. We've had very, what I would call, you know, much more aggressive, steeper price changes. That uh, and you can think about when they when they broke out the DVD service and they, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of pushback against some of those changes. In fact, some of those early on, some of those changes were reversed as a result of of some of that pushback when they tried to you know, remember roll out the uh, separate service. And uh, I think they that they were calling that Star service or something. Quickster. Quickster. Yeah, that's right. Quickster. Yeah. yeah. When they tried to launch Quickster as a as a standalone service and just focus Netflix on uh, you know the deli- digital delivery. Uh, so.
1: Well, a, a, few, a few dozen folks will be having uh, some budget freed up with the demise of Quibi, so may, maybe they can uh, tap into that.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll start yeah. to see uh short... Maybe they'll
1: buy those assets. Actually, it'll be interesting to see who buys those assets. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think it actually is a great fit for an Apple uh, because that's where right, this content, that content exists. And I think that you know, beyond the content that they would acquire in, in the purchase of the, the Quibi assets, there's, I think, probably some IP on how they deliver content um, they, and really Quibi had some really compelling, I think some compelling features. So for example, you know, I saw some early prototypes that, uh, uh of the content where you would, the, the character might ring the doorbell in a oh, and,
1: more interactive like, stuff, yeah, yeah, like interactive yeah. stuff,
0: right? They'd ring the doorbell or, or call, they would call and then your phone would actually ring, uh, and, and it's right. a scary movie. <laughs> you know, they had partnered with Steven Spielberg for his. I think it was after dark series. It would only be available after dark wherever you were, so some um, some kind of unique geofencing of content that could parlay well, I think better to a mobile environment to a you know an Apple environment than a, a Netflix environment unless Netflix wants to arguably take uh, Apple on head to head and and try to gain greater inroads into that mobile content viewing, uh, they're obviously very strong on the mm. tv they're very strong probably on larger screen devices probably less so on on uh you know smartphones still still a lot of strength there but i would imagine much of the netflix is being consumed on, on larger screens so maybe this is a way of of trying to build that out so to your point it will be interesting to see if and who and for how much those assets are are transferred to Uh, That's probably a good place to end it for this week's episode of Techspansive. We thank you again for joining us. I am Sean Dubravac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean dubravac,
1: And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for joining.